Well, hello, boys and girls, ladies and germs. This is a very, 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 couldn't be more special pop-up episode of How to Wow with Russell Brand. Russell and I started getting together just before Christmas with our local vicar Dave at our local church, All Saints in Marlowe, for these merry mindfulness evenings. And we forged something. We've got something going on, but he's got a lot more going on than me. So I had to do a bit more mining via this conversation. And he absolutely had everybody who works on or around our radio show at the 17th floor of the News Tower on the south bank of the River Thames in London gripped. Totally hypnotised. It was awesome. He is, he is a very, very special human being. And so we've had a chat and taken the extraordinary decision of releasing this as a pop-up podcast. I, I know you're going to enjoy this. If, you, if you've liked any of our other podcasts, you're going to love it. This will immediately be your favourite. Okay, so do enjoy, my friends. But before, just before that, every morning, Tash, my wife and I go scoop da loop with one heap scoopful of this all-round nutritional insurance, which is made up of no less than 75 vitamins, minerals and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood, scientifically researched and blended together to support and improve energy, recovery, immunity and digestion. Deep seaweed green like nature itself. This eye candy concoction takes just a few seconds, like no more than five or six, okay, ten tops, to prepare and taste absolutely gorgeous. And so here's how you can get yours. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash how to wow and join health experts, athletes and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash how to wow. Okay, and don't forget slash how to wow because this will entitle you to the special deal Athletic Greens have given how to wow listeners. A free year's supply of vitamin D and five travel free packs today to take with you on the go. Once again, athleticgreens.com slash don't forget how to wow. Okay, buckle up, everyone. Throw us a rope. We're all going in together. Here's my conversation with the one and only Russell Brand. All right, Russell. Hello, Chris. <laughs> that was a, a wonderful introduction. Thank yeah, you so much. Thank I you. I mean, did we overpromise or did he, did he deliver? No, that was a wonderful delivery. I think if it had not been in some way, if the introduction hadn't been introduced, I think I would have commented by Jove. You know, it would have hit me. That was impressive. <laughs> Thank you. Thank uh, well, you. talking of impressive, well done. What a serendipitous week to get you on um, because you're celebrating five million subscribers to your YouTube channel. I'm very happy with that, Chris. It's lovely to do something that I feel connected to, where I feel I can tell the truth as best as I understand it and to know that it's appreciated. Yeah, I'm really grateful. Well, you Thank say you. you're very happy. Listen to how happy he was a couple of days ago. As you know, this is the greatest, <laughs> the most reliable news channel in the world. And today we've got some particularly important yes, news. Come on. Hello, you five million glorious miracles. Damn you. Thank you for joining us. What an operation it's been. What a journey it's been. But it's not just me, that although I provide the majority of the talent. All all these people have worked so hard to build this channel. What an operation. What a group of fantastic young people. But really, where would we be without this? 
the true star of the show, the Log Store. Thank you all. Thank you for joining us on this journey to truth. Thank you. Let's get to 10 million. Glory be, glory be to truth. Stay free. Right, that's, that's a, a video. We've posted a video on our Instagram page at virginradio.co.uk. You can see it on YouTube anyway. I mean, your team, I didn't realise you had such a big and youthful team. They look gorgeous. They're so vibrant. I know. And young and connected. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for remarking on them. I'm really very pleased with it, Chris. It's lovely to be able to do something like that, to talk about some quite complex issues and to walk the line. Yeah. Virtuously. Yeah, because you've done it before. I mean, you did it with the trees, but this seems to have landed um, more fully formed. Obviously, everything's a journey, you know, and it's a learning curve. Uh, but 5 million um, subscribers as of Tuesday. I remember in September and October, it was like three and a half, four, four and a half December. I mean, you know, it's, it's only a question of time before it gets to 10 million. Has it reached a tipping point or several tipping points, or do you think there's one to come, do you think? I, I don't know, Chris. I feel like that people often talk about the way that information is conveyed. And I think people have a great appetite for authenticity and integrity. This is a time that's recognised of a great deal of division and confusion. And no one can claim to have a direct access or even unique access to truth. But I think people recognise when people are being themselves. So I feel that over the course of the pandemic with the amount of confusion and concern, uh, with, I think, an awareness that there's a lot of political fracture and politi political disingenuity with the ongoing power of commerce, I think people are grateful for things that feel very direct and accessible. That would be that would be my best guess at it. And there's a lightness of touch as well about it. You know, it re reminded me of uh, Charlie Chaplin and the, and the Great Dictator. You know, when you can get things over with humour, even really serious things, you know, p p potentially as serious as things can get, you know, there's always a laugh in there as well, isn't there? Almost always. I think it's vital that the more serious a subject you're discussing, the more access to levity is required. We're dealing with a lot of hard stuff. It's an unusual time. Have you noticed like that even today when people are talking about the wind, it's kind of got it's accessing the pre-existing anxiety and fear of the last couple of years. It's already being mobilized. People are very like, well, should we go out? Wind? I'm not suggesting that it's right to go out or not right to go out. I'm just saying I sense that even phenomenal that we would have been more accustomed to is now sort of rebooted with a different type of anxiety. Perhaps there's something changing, Chris. Something's changing in the way people see the world or the way they, that we see ourselves. And I don't think it, it doesn't have to be negative, although sometimes it seems that it's predetermined that it will be. I think it's possible that it can become quite an optimistic time of change. Yeah, and you always say that, oh, you don't always say it, but you say it a lot at the end of your videos, you know, this is what I think, but what do you think? You know, and you get so many comments back, don't you? People really sort of engage. I've been wrong so many times in my life <laughs> that I've learned to recognise that right. as the fundamental principle that I might be wrong about this. Right. I could be wrong. It's possible <laughs> that I'm wrong. I do not have direct access. I make so many mistakes. That's so cool. What is the latest on the wind? Because you're, you're the, the last It's person... windy, Chris. It's pretty windy out there. Don't move. Sit perfectly still. You could hurt yourself or someone else. Put your hands on your legs. Stare straight ahead. It's windy, baby. It is, it is actually very windy. Two red warnings in the last 12 hours. Red warnings. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. No, no, it's very, very serious. How, how, do you think, how do you think the studio... It's not a woodshed, is it, where you broadcast from? Um, just, just describe it for people who haven't seen it. My YouTube channel comes from my garden. It's in uh, like, and out the window there is a wood store and I suppose it's very good for my ego
show that uh, 50% of the comments are about the wood store. Like, so I'm trying my best to convey truth, uh, to combine spiritual truth with political truth, but a substantial number of people that watch the show go, I like the way you've stacked them logs. Uh, uh, Do you stack them? Because I think the same thing. Are you... Oh, good, good. I could have bought a log in here, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) You should have done. We could have given signed Russell Brand logs. You've still got it. You should do that, mate. Oh, you see these opportunities. You never stop producing. Only for other people. <laughs> Amazing. I, I, I'm just, you know, giving it all away. Um, but they they do have a certain calmness to them, those logs, because it's very higgy, isn't it? It's very, you know, oh, yeah, woodshedy. It it's very Nordic. It's Nordic, it's domestic, yes. it's ordinary, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, look, look, look at this place, the grandeur and magnificence of your studios here. What we need is... <laughs> I would say stack some logs here. I think you're right. Some easy paraphernalia from a man who runs a good 30% of the journey. I mean, I'm still dazzled by the fact that you come here. On you've, be- you've discovered your own yogi. You've discovered who you are. That energy that it was evident that you had, that energy that tornadoed, <laughs> red flag, red warning for an entire culture, created an entire language, a whole movement. Now you have focused it and you can control it. Yeah. You've discovered what well, to do with that energy. Well, in progress, you know that. Yeah, it keeps um, so there's many Russells. So, as Russell the actor, your filmography is becoming more and more extensive, um, which is fantastic. There's stand-up Russell. You're in the middle of a tour. How how is the tour post-COVID going? Pretty good. I think people are really bloody grateful to get out of the house, to tell you the truth, Chris. The shows that I've done have been fantastic. I was at Hammersmith Apollo the other day. I've got loads of shows coming up. I'm going to be in Bristol and Plymouth and Glasgow and Newcastle and Hull. I'm going everywhere. Countrywide. Yeah, countrywide, I love it. I'm in, like, uh, at the weekend, I'm in Bradford and Manchester. Them shows are sold out, I think. But, like, uh, there's tickets available. Go to russellbrand.com if you want them. I love it. I like, feel connected to people. When you're directly in the room with people, people know what your intentions are. I talk about the, what we've endured politically and spiritually. People fill in surveys about the weirdest thing they've done, unusual things people have used instead of masks, skullduggery that's gone on, people's responses to running out of toilet roll. So there's a lot of stuff that's very kind of frivolous and light but also some stuff that's pretty intense and it's just lovely to be in a room with people again there's a very there's a powerful sense of congregation and and i think a sense that people are are waking up to something different and i know that this is something that's important to you because i know the conversations that we've been having have focused a lot on personal awakening personal awakening and how that will and can only positively impact the culture yeah, so just briefly, we did this thing in our local church with our amazing vicar, um, Dave. And um, you alluded to the fact on the first one, didn't you, that, that the thought of you and I in the 90s together in a church. Yeah, I like to imagine, Chris, that a time traveller would arrive in a church in Marlow and see Chris Evans and Russell Brand at the front of a church guiding a meditation and think that their time machine had broken. <laughs> What's going on? Because like, it's a really sort of beautiful and spiritual, and gentle and inclusive and trans-denominational experience because that uh, Father Dave, he's well up for bringing Christianity or spirituality beyond even Christian principles to everyone, which is a pretty great perspective, I reckon. Yeah, he's the absolute best. Uh, So let's get on to spiritual uh, and God-loving Russell as well because we're mentioning that. You you know about the science of meditation. I don't really know about that. Can you explain um, how how come it works? Because you're really good at that. 
Yeah, I reckon this, that your persona is a set of synaptic connections. Your persona is your memories of yourself, your experience of yourself. They say 90% of the thoughts yesterday, that you thought yesterday, you'll think again today and you'll think them again tomorrow. In meditation, you access a different aspect of your mind. You fall into a slightly dormant state that is vibrant and awake, either by following breath or following a mantra. You recognize that you are thinking like a lot of time when people like people like listen to this who've tried meditation and don't like it they'll go I've tried meditation I sit there and all I do is I sit there thinking and that's really normal that's an integral part of the experience but as you start to watch those thoughts you have to recognize who is it that is observing these thoughts when you notice that your body might be a little bit uncomfy who is it that is observing the bodily sensations and it becomes in unignorable that there's something else in there with you. You are not just your thoughts and your feelings. There is an abiding awareness. The process of meditation is forming a deeper connection with this abiding awareness. When we do this, we're able to observe more clearly our emotions, the times when we feel infuriated, incensed, anxious, insecure. Meditation increasingly is being prescribed by the medical profession. It's been scientifically recognized that it's good for your blood pressure, it's good for your heart. How is it that thousands of years ago the yogis and rishis and sufis and saints knew without any access to cat scans or mris that it would affect the body that the mind and the body are one that the separation between neurological connections synapses and nerves are imaginary that within this bag of skin there are possibilities as yet undreamed of that we can reimagine ourselves that every single physical thing you see in this world every man-made woman-made creation passed through the mind of a person just like you the very building you're standing in was once a thought in someone's head then a drawing on a piece of paper and here it is real why then can we not create new dreams together cast aside your doubt and fear join us join me and Chris and Father Dave in the little church by a river join whoever it is you join go to your mosque your synagogue or some secular atheistic space if that's your bag but know there is hope and possibility and the, the people that tell you that change is impossible are invested in things staying the same because change is inevitable. That's oh. so cool. Uh, you mentioned the word atheist there. So uh, there's a great conversation available um, uh, on Under the Skin. So you can watch it on video or you can uh, listen to the podcast, download it from wherever you get your podcast, uh, between you and Ricky um, about atheism you know, yes. and faith. And you do you do somewhere meet in the middle. How does that conversation go? Because it's a it's an it's a it's a win win or a, a non lose lose um, uh, exchange. I spoke to a lot of atheists, like whether it's Brian Cox, the astronomer, or Ricky Gervais, or Tim Minchin, or Neil deGrasse Tyson. And what I always have recourse to is that what we regard as humanitarianism or human rights has to be underwritten by something. Why do human beings have rights? What is it? What is it about us that is special? Why should we be kind to each other? Just what I call Sesame Street morality. Why be kind? Why be kind? You know when you've hurt somebody. You know when you've got some amends to make in this life. So with Ricky Gervais, I suppose what I focused on is Ricky's very passionate, almost religious love of animals. He cares very deeply about animals and loves them. And he loves comedy. And he loves his principles. His principles about like what he should be able to say. So once you accept that there are a set of values, then you're saying there is a kind of absolute. And even if you say that different people might believe in different things, 
things and there are as many sets of principles around God or indeed anything as, as there are humans on the planet, you're starting to recognise at least that we're not nihilists. Atheists is one thing, saying that, you know, I think there definitely isn't a divine source of all reality. But nihilist is something else. There is no meaning in the universe. We're born, we die, nothing matters. If that's true, then why not just make as much money as possible? Why not just fulfil your life with pleasure? And I sometimes think the pervasiveness of those ideas in our culture leads to despair, alienation, isolation, addiction, mental health problems. I'm not saying we should just invent a God because we need one, but I'm saying that beauty is real. Even people that don't believe in God in a traditional or conventional way, and, and I don't have an opinion on how people should approach divinity, is important, I believe, to acknowledge the beauty in yourself, the beauty in others, and to have an aspiration in that direction. It's possible that we believe God into being, that our belief in goodness, our belief in kindness make these things more real. Certainly my own little life, the more that I focus on those ideas and principles, the easier it is to be me. When you were warming up for this current UK tour, you did a couple of pop-up gigs in a field near us um, and you announced them on social media and they sold out. Uh, pretty quickly and you started off with a meditation didn't you with the audience uh, is that the first time you've done it um, how was it what did you learn from it uh, is it now part of the tour actually Chris I was thinking on the way here I was listening to a, a Muji meditation on YouTube I know you like the meditations of Muji very much and I was thinking I'm going to be talking to Chris about this tour and I know that me and Chris have connected on the subject of meditation do I have to incorporate meditation into the tour so that I will feel more legitimised in discussing the tour <laughs> with Chris? And then I thought about the various times that like, I've um, led meditations and whether or not what it would be like to do that in front of thousands of people and with thousands of people. And I, I haven't been leading meditations at the tour so far, but I'm thinking, if you think it's a good idea, let's face it, you're never not producing. If you think that after the show I could keep people back for like 20 minutes and do a meditation in, in the space if people wanted to, instead of doing all the the photographs and that then uh, yeah I'd, I'd be up for that and when I have led meditations in public once I put aside the idea that oh who am I to do this I don't have the right to do that which I would feel about anything whether it's playing football or wearing a pair of trousers or oh, who am I to have trousers <laughs> <laughs> who am I to own a pair of shoes <laughs> I don't deserve anything um, like once I put aside those kind of thoughts about myself like uh, and like just think oh well I'm doing this meditation because I want people to feel better and I want them to know that they're beautiful and I don't want people to feel they're not good enough I get through that and then I recognise, I listen to, I think of all the brilliant people that I've meditated with, like Muji or Eckhart Tolle or my teacher Bob Roth, who works for the David Lynch Foundation. And I think about how what they're trying to do is to guide me to that underlying awareness, not just the thoughts, not the feelings, not the feeling of the steering wheel in your hand. Although if you stay present with the steering wheel in your hand or if you stay present with whatever you're sitting on and observe it, it's possible to start to make different types of connection with a moment. When I was doing that meditation and it was like a quite, I think it was 500 people, like, I was doing just a like little thing in a field and like I looked out and everyone was meditating at me like with their arms in prayer I opened my eyes I thought you're gonna have to watch that mental illness you have Russell where you sometimes the old Jesus complex kicks in because like uh, you know I'm not uncommon with my mental illness of having ideas of grandeur it's very common there's mental hospitals all over the world full of people that think they're Jesus but not many of them open their eyes to see 500 people with their hands together in prayer looking up at them so I watch myself Chris <laughs> I have to watch the madness it could come back at any moment and uh, you talk about that don't you about when you're going on tour 
um, because of the the high that you get from performing live. And you you say you have to be careful when you go on tour, especially for example after after a gig. Yes, because it's very easy to get overexcited with yourself and your own ego. And our culture has particular prescriptions for dealing with altered states. There's a reason I think people find altered states attractive. Sometimes the drudgery of everyday life, particularly if you're doing a job that you don't like or you're in a relationship that you don't like or you would like to be in a relationship you're not. If you're dealing with a lot of unhappiness and a lot of despair, altered states become very appealing. The way that we're granted access to altered states is primarily through like a legal uh, stimulants like alcohol say that aren't in my opinion and uh, I wouldn't judge anyone else's alcohol use they're not really good for you I mean certainly not if you have a, a addictive and compulsive nature getting access to altered states through the kind of things we're talking about meditation breath work the great work of Wim Hof this is a, a way of solving that problem of feeling that life is sometimes flat and punitive without harming yourself when you go into the realms of like uh, showing off and stuff I think that it's possible Chris that you're conjuring up some pretty powerful energy some would argue in fact it's been written about extensively that the entire profession of show business comes from shamanic tradition what is it that made bowie say so powerful or chaplin or billy holiday what energy are they calling up and what do you imagine might be the roots of that in pre-settled cultures when nomadic people toured around when witch doctor culture sought to travel between dimensions conjure up the hades and hell reach up to celestial planes this is something that can sort of happen on stage particularly the more conscious and aware you become of the idea of making people feel good make them feel good wake people up it's very difficult not to get attached to that if you see like thousands of people laughing or clapping or like whatever like it's very important to remember that it is the state that is important not the individual that's bringing it about so like for me in the past obviously there was drinking and drugs and other behaviors that are sort of associated with stimulated states and when you recognize that that stuff can't go on forever that it's not healthy in in some sort of spiritual sense then you have to find a more responsible way luckily i've got two kids 11 cats two dogs and when i get home there's usually some form of feces that needs clearing up <laughs> and that reminds me of what my little place in this world is i didn't know you had 11 cats i knew you had some cats because what it was, Chris, is some cats, biology, and then it took over, right. and the cats, they started to procreate one. Like, they made new versions of themselves through some copulative act. So are they, are they, <laughs> are they little baby kittens, then? We got one new kitten, which we actually, like, that was unnecessary. Like, my wife, Laura, got, even though we another had one. ten cats, she got another one. <laughs> and like, I went, what, another one? But what about the ten we've got? And then I sort of thought, well, what's one more? Doesn't what matter. does it matter? Doesn't matter. Just keep them coming. Who needs to count sheep when you can count cats? So there's no business like shamanic business. There's no business like shamanic <laughs> There's no business like it, Chris. Oh, like conjuring up the, the depths and aspiring to the heights. You mentioned breathing there. Now, we've had a couple of uh, breathing sessions. Do you have a regular morning routine that you can share with people that could inspire them. Yeah, they should really look into Wim Hof. He's an amazing teacher who under clinical conditions through his breath work and he, he's known as the Iceman. He exposes himself to cold temperatures. He holds a bunch of world records normally for going to cold places in his pants. Up Kilimanjaro in his pants, up Mount Everest in his pants, under a sheet of ice for in eight your minutes. Garden in in, he, came in my he came in my garden in his pants. Yeah, <laughs> actually. And taught me some breath work and we got in the River Thames together. Anyway, these, this exposure to the cold, it, uh, it 
boosts up the old immune system and makes you stronger and more powerful and dormant systems within yourself are awakened by it now like he he was given ebola is that which is yeah. the one that's not so, so no, bad it was ebola yeah right he gave yeah. it so he got that under clinical conditions so i get mixed up between e coli and ebola and one of them's written no, that's the e coli is They're the both quite bad well, it's the one that's not so bad that wouldn't destroy civilization. <laughs> yeah. I get confused about things like that. Anyway, like he, get, he got given some sort of little uh, bacterial infection under clinical observation and was able to heal himself and indeed 10 other people. This is sort of like something that's well documented. So um, like these practices, the Wim Hof breath technique, I use that and I use it just to feel awakened and well. There's a woman called Biet Simkin who's a great teacher of breath work. I do so, like some of her stuff. I do transcendental meditation. I do kundalini yoga. When when I was out in the world, Chris, and, and, and I had my problems with addiction, I'd try anything. <laughs> I'm the same now I'm on the spiritual path. I'll try anything. I'll chant, I'll breathe, I'll stand on my head, whatever it takes to access <laughs> To not these... go back there. <laughs> yeah, I can't go back there again. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so the breath work, yeah, can you can you share uh, something with the people listening now that they could do in the next few minutes, perhaps? Yeah, not if you're driving a HGV. Or... In the wind, especially with this wind. Oh, with that wind. <laughs> Sit still, put your hands on your lap, don't move for god's sake something could happen i just saw a mouse where and, like, and what i think you could do if you're sat somewhere where it's safe to do so you um inhale deeply focusing on your abdomen as you breathe so you breathe in orally although wim hof to his internal credit he don't care if you breathe in through your nose i reckon he'd let you breathe in through your ears if such a thing were possible so you're just breathing like this it should sound like that and then exhale like this continually like that and you do 30 or 40 rounds of that full inhalation bringing the breath deep into the belly all the way up to the chest and then even to the head fill yourself with breath like your life depends upon it for surely it does fill yourself with breath then fully expel the breath so it sounds like this do that 30 or 40 times and on the 40th exhale you hold out and you time yourself on this Wim Hof has a great app you could get that if you wanted to um, and like a you'll notice that you'll be able to hold it out for about one minute. And then on after you've um, held out for about one minute, and eventually maybe you'll do three or four minutes, you know, although it's not a competition, although I do get into competing with myself, I've still got that aspect to my nature. Uh, after you've held your breath out for a little bit, you do a big inhale thusly, and you hold that, and you push your belly out. And you, if you really want to take this to the limits, to push your chin high up into the air. And that, in a conjunction with pushing out the abdomen, stimulates the vagus nerve, and you'll get some real treats out of that experience <laughs> i would say for free and then um uh, you know after holding your that inhalation for just 15 seconds you repeat the process okay wim hof who pioneered this technique and certainly is the one that put it together from its yogi yogic underpinnings will guide you a lot better than i ever could he is a great teacher but like uh, if you try that stuff do three or four rounds oh my god it's magnificent then after that i do a little bit of meditation sorts you right out i think it will improve your yoga or your brazilian jiu-jitsu or your running or just being you doing your job and living your life when did we because we beat our chest didn't we on one exhale that was a big that was a big Chris deal. we were crazy that day we were beating our chest we were staring into each other's eyes it seemed like everything was what, possible what did we do that for because that really helped as well I'll tell you what that was that's this Biet Simkin thing now right. this is an exercise where you know if like you're sat on your knees and on your bum as if you were in prayer right like you sat down with your knees on the floor with your bum on your heels now you sort of take deep inhales into your belly <laughs> Like that, and then straight out, in, 
out. And as you're doing this, you're sort of doing what would be called cat-cow in yoga. You're letting your belly fill up and you're letting your head sort of just lull forwards on the exhales, right? And you're filling your belly up, obviously, on the inhales. On the final inhalation, you stand up on your knees and you push that chin right high up in the air, holding this inhalation deep in your belly. And then bam, bam, on your chest, you <laughs> beat your fist as if you were trying to make a point in Parliament. I swear we had no parties. I swear we never pounding upon your chest and then like and you exhale on that and my god what i experienced is that hmm, there is consciousness that is not individual like all of the russell mechanisms shut down and some of you would be grateful for that i'm sure like like i couldn't remember who i was or where i was or what was going on but there was still presence and it made me understand that there is an ever-present narrative telling you oh, i'm in this room now oh, i'm on the radio oh, i'm listening to the radio but there is something else there's something else in there now if you're a medically minded person who go you're just hyperventilated mate this is a cockney doctor which goes against all sorts of stereotypes <laughs> but i would say the predication to rationalism and materialism that began at the Enlightenment is leading us to a nihilistic space. Because if all there is is all that you can count and measure, then it starts to seem like that nature might be disposable and love might be disposable. But when you connect deeply with these things that can never be weighed, you start to understand that there are limitless possibilities as yet unexplored. And if you can individually feel that, then it becomes possible to change a culture, to change a society, to change a system. Whereas if you're only trying to change the system from within its own rules as Einstein says you can't change something using the rules that created it and I think he was just waiting for me to use that on Chris Evans's breakfast yes! show <laughs> Um, and also, this is a critical mass, isn't there? Because it doesn't take the whole world to engage with this. There's another theory about that, isn't it? About the unified field and things like that. The David Lynch Foundation, um, who kindly uh, taught me how to meditate and will teach people who can't afford it, because they sort of charge you, because they teach you one on one. But if you can't afford it, like people like uh, veterans and like kids in schools and all that kind of stuff, they have really generous programs for teaching people meditation. They believe. The, Mahara, uh, the uh, Maharishi Maharesh, who like was the dude who brought it over with the Beatles and all that stuff. Remember when the Beatles went all crazy and sort of got tuned in? Well, he believes that if it's, it's a small number, like sort of 0.3% of the population regularly meditating will alter the conscious field. Now, of course, rash, if you look at something like that rationally, it's kind of extraordinary. But th th that's what they believe, that if a significant number of people meditate, the world will alter. Even though in a more tangible way, it takes only a small number of people to, for example, reject a system and bind together around a particular idea for a considerable impact to be made on a culture. They estimate 300,000. It's a small amount of people are required to change the world, really. Relatively. And that's why if you have trouble meditating, if you do it in company, it's, it's A, more enjoyable. Not more enjoyable, but it can be more enjoyable. It's more communal. Uh, and you can use other people's energy perhaps when yours, you can't access your own. Yeah, I think I, I, I sort of prefer it. It was pretty beautiful when we were doing that thing in that church. And when I get the opportunity to meditate with other people, it's kind of nice to sit in silence and to enjoy for a moment just the presence. Yeah, well, I think sitting with somebody else, sitting with somebody else's silence is, is almost more powerful in a way because it's, the, it's this mutual respect you have for the other person's silence which helps you with your own. That's what I found. Anyway. Yeah, I think you might be right about that.
it's sort of I said well I heard once that uh, there is this type of monkeys that um, they most monkeys don't graze with their hands I don't know where they are these monkeys they graze in the grass <laughs> uh, listen look if you're an anthropologist or a zoologist this this anecdote's going to break down pretty fast but if you don't know much about monkeys you're in for a lovely 30 or 40 seconds these monkeys can't groom one another so their um, their hierarchies and their ways of comfort each other are restricted because they graze with their hands these monkeys continue chatter unlike most monkeys these monkeys they chatter away they chatter away comforting one another from chatter and I think like um, in the field of linguistics there is one theory that since we no longer groom each other or touch each other in the way we would have done deep in our evolutionary past we chatter continually to provide signals of comfort and safety a lot of things that are said are a little um, in superfluous. superfluous Chris is the word <laughs> <laughs> um, but like uh, so in silence you know like if you look into someone's eyes and don't talk for a little while you maybe might cry <laughs> you know like because stuff will come to the that surface that does happen the staring therapy as well I've never done that but people say it's extraordinary yeah because you see that people are beautiful and people are just like you and anybody that you meet ever could tell you something about themselves their heartbreak a moment where they felt not good enough they've lost someone they love you know that people have been through things that would just destroy you to hear about and I try to remember that when I'm performing live that I'm dealing with people that are vulnerable like me and not to think of the world only in terms of my utility what can I get what can I get I default to that so easily sometimes in silence you find this sometimes in silence you find something that you cannot find in the culture the great Terence McKenna he was a sort of an ethnobotanist and psychedelic pioneer was famous for saying culture is not your friend that the culture primarily is used to distract you and direct your thinking towards things that perhaps you'd be better not thinking in this silence we can subvert our conditioning and we can access deep latent powers that perhaps we've forgotten but that are ours and they've always been present I feel it quite a lot Chris I feel it in this silence feel it now um, mm. Should we break for a bit of music? You're in charge, mate. This is your radio show. You're one of the people that's pioneered this media landscape. You should probably <laughs> do whatever you want. Um, okay, not the band. Okay, no, we'll, we'll only break for the live music. When Boo Radley's ready, we'll break for Boo Radley. Oh, cool. So you can actually be in charge of that. It's pretty good that you can do that because I was under the impression that we were participating in a commercial enterprise and you would be beholden to advertisers and sponsors and that you would have to sort of pretty much do what you are told, but that's not the case. We tend to meet in the middle <laughs> for now. Nice one, man. Whilst things are going well. <laughs> Fantastic. And, right, let's talk about the podcast then, if you don't mind. So you have three on the go now. Right? Yes. So we'll talk about the YouTube channel before you go. I got you for another 20 minutes but um the podcast so you have under the under the skin which is you talking to amazing people having amazing conversations and that's been going on for a while mm. and then you have um your meditation po podcast which is called above the noise under the skin above the noise that's yeah. beautiful and then you have the brand new podcast football is nice now how the heck did they come up with football is nice as a title well check out the pilot episode and you might hear this what i will say living where i do you do see a lot of Millwall fans on match day and it's a it's nice feeling. You see them like outside pubs and stuff. Nice. And you're like, oh yeah, I remember I this match like, day. Match day. You I do... lived near Highbury for a while when Highbury was Arsenal's ground. Yeah, it was nice. It's nice. It's a see nice feeling. Go by, and I've oh. never seen any trouble ever. So you know, it's a kind of like they've got this, uh, you know. Um, Stigma, really, haven't they? They certainly have, no. mate. <laughs> I, like, I was in Reading the other day, and I see all their fans going by. Yeah. That was a nice feeling. It's nice. It's a it, nice feeling. Yeah. Football is nice. So I think... Uh, so the high note you wanted? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Football is nice. We've got our title. <laughs> <laughs> that is quite good. <laughs> that's probably the best one, but I do think it should be me. <laughs> <laughs> 
when you hear yourself back, does it make you laugh? Because that's that's really funny. It's, oh, thank gen- you. it's gently very funny, is what it is. Yeah, that football is nice because a lot of the content we do is about like sort of spirituality, which of course can be light, but can sometimes feel heavy because you're dealing with emotions, mental illness, addiction, and some trauma and stuff. And because the other thing, like the under the skin, is dealing, talking to like academics and intellectuals from all across the political spectrum. And because my YouTube channel talks a lot about the news, and you can be in some difficult spaces, we wanted to do something. Gareth, who produces the show and creates a great deal of the content. He's a whole city fan, and Jenny, she doesn't care at all about football. She produces like all of the podcast content, uh, and, like and me wanted to do something that was like light. So, but even football sometimes, because of the complexities, like football is a subset of culture, the same way that science is a subset of culture. There is nothing that is free from the edicts of our culture. So occasionally, even something like football is infiltrated by complex ideas. Of course, it is commercial ideas, ideas around identity. But like what we wanted to do is like a football podcast that focused on the aspect of football that is simply nice that is enjoyable that people love it and come together and have connections with one another and love their football team and like that beautiful culture comes from it I mean, when Frank Skinner and David Baddiel started talking about football again it's around the time that you altered the televisual and radio landscape with your accessibility easy charm and access to uh, working class cultural reference points that hadn't up until then been mobilised in that way with a unique spirit of joy and enthusiasm enthusiasm in Greek means presence of God so we must never forget this so like um so football and nice is a little bit meta and postmodern because i sometimes will talk about why is manchester united manchester united what is it why what is this ongoing soap opera is it economically underwritten because you know it doesn't matter if they win the title because they're such a powerful commercial enterprise or is there something fundamental about their mythology the busby babes and george best and then other times we're just talking about like the silliness how you feel at a football game how it makes you feel about your masculinity or your femininity or your identity or like and, and then of course gareth is continually trying to make us talk about actual football because I always want to talk about the poetics. Now, he has something in common with Jen, who who's, who also slips onto the air from time to time, and is fantastic. I mean, mm. we're all we're all worshipping at the altar of Jen. But they're both single, aren't they? Oh, yeah. And Gareth is extremely... He's unbelievably handsome. Unbelievably, like, <laughs> sickeningly good-looking. And you, you get this, um, you know... And Jen is beautiful as well, I don't we? Like, she's beautiful in an no, we'll ethereal to, Gaelic we'll, way. Are you we'll going to... Everyone's Jen. beauty will be listed. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, th- this could be uh, a terrible generalisation, but it's not. He, but Because Gareth is a lot more handsome than he sounds. Ah, how more handsome is that? I mean, sometimes Gareth is so handsome that I sort of I look at it, my breath is taken away. Yeah, he like makes all of my YouTube videos and stuff like that. He's from Hull. I mean, he's got a lot to deal with there. He's working with me. He's from Hull. He's like, really fighting against the odds. <laughs> and yeah, he sort of looks kind of like, I don't know, like a, you know, like they're models for a perfume where someone's getting out of the seaside yeah. and they're all like got sand no, on he's them. He's gorgeous. He looks like that a bit or a watch advert. So he's a heterosexual, as far as I can tell, man. And like, because uh, God knows I've been banging on that door. <laughs> He's like a, so like a, he's a heterosexual fella, and I think yeah, I think he would be do very well with someone in their late twenties or early thirties, <laughs> presumably female, uh, in the London area. So uh, have a look at his Instagram page or his Twitter. In page. the in the pilot for football is nice. He does talk about his own voices, and he does say you know um, he says people. I my pro- the problem with my voice is, and he's on the podcast, and I love his voice. It's great because it's a be- it's a beautiful sort of juxtaposition to yours and to Jen's, and the three voices go together uh, really sort of uh, harmoniously. He says, I, I always sound bored 
or what does he say? I sound like I'm bored or uninterested. I can't remember. I don't know, Chris, but I'm starting to take it as a personal criticism because the thing he's listening to when he's sounding bored is me. So <laughs> <laughs> like, if he does say that, he certainly had, like I would say there's there's some glorious tones in that man's voice, and he has a, he's a very sensitive yeah. person. We're great. Like we've worked together for a very long time. Yeah. You know, what I mean, he's so very he, funny. He's been there to, sort of during the sort of ongoing madness. That's... And you say, you say Jen's not into football, but she can do eight to two keepy uppies yeah actually she's good at football so what does it matter because I can't <laughs> offer that she's matter. good at football she's better than either certainly me and even Gareth who where did, where did Jen come from in your life Jen ran a fan website when right. she was like a kid right. and like when I was first on telly on that Big Brother programme right. like you know like people were hey look there's a fan website of you let me see that my god it's happening <laughs> oh finally after everything I've endured my entire life a fan website good good let me show I'll show you this Jamie Dawkins hello Jamie Dawkins probably a good guy he was a school bully back then but he's turned his life around people change man <laughs> forgive him uh, like uh, so J- Jenny ran that website and like I got in touch with her and then I sort of kept running into her place I go do you want a job do you want to come work for me and she does work for me if you can call it work because she's a sort of a very sort of I don't know what I would, I would call she's got a she's got her own shamanic energy she stares off into the distance she doesn't seem to particularly phased by anything <laughs> sometimes so I good. remind her you start a fan site for me so can you show a bit of respect in the workplace <laughs> And the uh, we mentioned the team before, and once again, you can see the team on, on this little forty-two second video Russell dropped on uh, or, or uploaded on Tuesday. How do you get a job with Russell Brand? How does that work? Oh well, I suppose like you have to have a skill set around tech and new media because I suppose what we've started now is a social media company creating a lot of content, 10, 12 videos a week, free podcasts a week, and we're on tour. So like what I'm interested in is the fusion of political awakening and spiritual awakening. If you have like skills and have worked in television, we need people with like experience and with awareness when it comes to content creation and editorial stuff. Graphic design, yeah. But so that if you've got those skills, then you should probably email. Uh, who would you email? <laughs> Go to uh, uh, hello at russellbrand.com and uh, put um, job application in the subject. Other situations vacant. I didn't realise this, this. There's a chance of people getting. Well, there, there wasn't, Chris, but you brought it up, so I thought, well, this is probably. You know, you've got to be ready, haven't you, for what the universe presents you with. Cool. Um, or Chris Evans. And let's face it, ultimately, Chris Evans and the universe are one and the same when it comes to Well, the we're crunch. all one and the same, aren't we? Ultimately. That's what we know. Uh, at least we um, choose to believe and enjoy um, uh, subscribing to. So we are where we are with Russell Brand, you now. And there are all these lovely different Russell Brands, you know, and they're all encompassed under the umbrella that's sitting uh, in between us all today. Um, what, when was the first time you ever had a microphone in your hand and you stood on stage and s- said something to some people. When I was 15, I was in. A, I went to Gray's school. It was called Gray's Comprehensive then. It's called something else now and they seem to have improved it since I left. I hope that's not a coincidence. Uh, or I hope it is a coincidence, yeah. Like, when I was 15, we did Bugsy Malone at the school and uh, I, like the teacher, the drama teacher, I've never really given enough credit, Colin Hill, he goes, do you want to be Fat Sam? I was a chubby lad when I was little, I you know, I'm sure I've banged on about it before, I was like sort of uh, bulimic and eating a lot and all that kind of stuff and um, he said, do you want to be Fat Sam in this play? And I, I wasn't offended actually, so he must have, he must have phrased it nicely and like, uh, in, when we done that school play, I, I, f- I couldn't believe the feeling of walking onto a stage, I improvised and stuff and people properly laughed, it was uh, uh, I f- it was euphoric and uh, 
epiphanic. I felt this is who I am. This is who I am. And like uh, so some, I held on to something in that moment that is still in my hand as I talk to you now. Purpose, meaning. Even though this was happening in a school hall, in a normal school, in suburban Essex, Greys, the name tells you everything. Like I, I thought, oh, something has happened now. And from then it was like, right, I went and signed up with extra agencies, got into like little stage schools and things like that. And the, it, it made me understand something. It went through, like, it goes through a lot of filters, doesn't it? Because, first of all, you think if you have this ability, like, I know what you come from with Manchester Piccadilly Radio and working with Timmy Mallet and all that kind of stuff, you just had that force in you. Firstly, you think, this force, go to work for me, make me money, make me feel like I'm important. I've not ever felt important. Now, get out there and make me feel important. And it does that for you, the little gift. And then, after a while, I came to think, I should be doing something more useful with this. I should be doing something more useful with this. And I go back and forth because I think any of us that have a particular talent, even like, to work hard or commit ourselves or to help others or if it's something more prized by capitalist culture it's very difficult not to think that the priorities are the priorities that are set by the systems that we live in make money from it become important it's difficult not to download those ideas but after a while when you see those ideas won't ultimately work for you they don't mean that we're not going to turn up on the radio or do podcasts or go on tour or anything but for me personally it just means remember you can do stuff that's useful you can communicate you can make people laugh so from doing that little school play and from being, you know, going to little stage schools and doing stand-up comedy, which only really came about because, like, because of the drug addiction stuff and not being able to, you know, get thrown out of drama schools and having sort of pretty regular mental breakdowns, it was easier for me to work alone. I recognise that the simpler I keep it, the more direct I keep it, direct communication, the, the easier things are for me. Even though I've done, like, films, and I've done a film pretty recently, as a matter of fact, the thing that I most enjoy is unencumbered communication, unencumbered connection, and... Yeah, I wish I'd known that a little bit earlier. I wish that we had a culture that prioritises, you know, like we all know, like the reason we love people that work for the NHS and key workers is you think, oh my God, they must care about human beings more than they care about money. But we can't ever really <laughs> prize it in our culture properly when it comes to like, should we give them more money? No, should we not privatise the NHS? No, shut up, we should. Like we can't ever like actualise what we feel. We can't ever actualise it. And I don't think you have to be sort of like a nurse to do it. Though, you know, you know that feeling you feel when you meet a nurse. You just think, oh my God, thank you. Thank you for being so kind. So much better than me. Oh, you're doing something <laughs> worthwhile. What do you do? I say stuff. I say stuff until I think I've got people's attention. So the first time, like the first time I had a microphone in my hand, would have been in this grim grey city that we're in now, this grim grey, glorious, beautiful city, that dirty rolling river there, sprawling out in the direction of the place where I was born, because I'm looking towards sort of like Essex down the River Thames right now. Uh, like it would have, like I, I, well, I've done that school play and then eventually end up doing stand up above pubs in places like around Camden and Islington and stuff like that. And the stand up comedy is a, it's a good route because there, the system exists already, you know, and I failed for a long time and I was bottled off a lot of stages. I've got still got literal physical scars on my body from bad stand-up comedy gigs but like uh, it was a long 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 tutelage a long apprenticeship but I think ultimately I did learn a skill set that I can now deploy with a degree of professionalism. I know you nearly called your football podcast uh, Full Circle or you, you joked about the fact it might be that but in a way that's what you're describing because what you're doing with your career now is very similar uh, from an architectural point of view of stand uh, to stand up comedy in as much as you are communicating directly aren't you you're just doing it via youtube and and podcasts now 
I think all of our journeys are a little bit that you come home to yourself. This is um, like Joseph Campbell, the cultural mythologist and analyst, uh, looked at folk tales and religions from across the world and noticed that there were consistent themes which he corralled together under the term the hero's journey. Initially, we are uh, uh, born and uninitiated, unawakened people. We go out into the world and hopefully we meet mentors and teachers. We will encounter tragedy and trauma and loss. And the way we respond to this tragedy, trauma and loss is what will ultimately define us. What choices will we make? Do we go with Obi-Wan Kenobi and become a Jedi or do we stay on Tatooine? Do we go to Hogwarts or do we stay in the suburban home? Do you want to encounter the magic within you that's there already? Or are you going to stay here and do as you're told? And like I feel that the, the reason these myths abide, of course, and I think that's what um, Carl Jung thinks and that's what Joseph Campbell thinks, is the reason they endure is because they have a deep psychic truth that's applicable to all of us, whether you're growing up in some little village somewhere in Senegal or in Iceland or right here in the UK, you are going to encounter the dragon. You are going to go into the forest. You're going to have to cross the river. If you're going to make it all the way to grandma's house, if you're going to become the elder, if you're going to become wise, you're going to have to overcome the temptations you're gonna to have to resist the wolf you're gonna to have to not yield if you want to become a real boy you've got to get out of the belly of the whale you can't go off and stay a puppet forever on the strings of a culture that wants you dumb you have to wake up so like um yes in the end there is nowhere else to go but home to recognize that you are from this place you're a normal person from greys like you know or well, wherever the hell it is you're from your dad's on nights keep it quiet in the end you've got to go back there and connect to people and see if you can be of some use and service by god i hope that we can chris i hope some use comes from this you, i hope I some value you are comes being my friend so the, the the thing about the hero's journey and about you know finding your way back home um is it interesting because now that you're wise enough and have experienced enough to realize that that is what's taking place the next mistake we tend to make is thinking that we we are now there but of course, in 10 years of 20 years time, we'll be thinking the same thing oh, because yeah. this isn't home, is it? No, right. Because home is where you end up eventually. I suppose you're right. Um, as long as you're able to stay absolutely present in the moment you're living in right now, then there is a sort of a sense of arrival, although there will be change. It's sort of been demonstrated that our understanding of spatial and temporal phenomena are highly influenced by our animalistic experience of them. What we consider to be time and what we consider to be space are highly personal and curated by the limitations of the senses, seeing as we do a small portion of the electromagnetic light range, hearing a small fraction of available noise phenomena, we see reality from within a very limited box of space and time. One thing that we can absolutely say is that we are subjectively present. I am here now. I don't know if you're here now or if you're some wonderful projection and if you are, I thank the gods that dreamed you. But, but my own presence here I am certain of and this is true of all of us and if we're present in the moment rather than lost in our thoughts, projecting into fear about, oh my god, is this wind going to get worse? Am I going to regret making light of it? What if a cable falls? You know, if I can stay present, go, yeah, of course things do happen in the world. There are 
are wins. There are things to be afraid of. But if we can stay present in this moment, not be dominated by a past, not be dominated by our mistakes, not be dominated by damnation. If we can stay present here, whoever we are, whoever we are, then we have at least a chance of becoming who we actually are. I'm in recovery from addiction for drugs and alcohol. They say that recovery, the term recovery means recover the person you were intended to be. Like there's an intended path for all of us. We understand that an acorn unimpeded and well nurtured will become an oak tree. It has the power of an oak tree in it already. That's just an all normal fact of nature. And we know that each of us are individuals. We can be identified by our DNA and our fingerprints. Become who you are. Become who you are. The bad things happen to us that don't happen to oak trees. Oak trees don't get told you're not good enough at football or you're a bit fat or that's not how you're supposed to look or how you're supposed to be. They don't have to overcome those conditions, although there are, of course, biochemical and horticultural conditions that oak trees contend with that we will never have to deal with. But oak trees become themselves and all of us can at least become ourselves. And in that, there's a glorious freedom because there's a recognition that people are diverse and can identify however they want to, but whether it's a very traditional identity or a very progressive and apparently modern form of identity, that we are unique, but we are also the same. That the same way as that all four of us in this room, and sorry for not letting you two talk enough, but, but Chris is your boss and I'm not in charge of what happens. I'm and I'm, boss, I, 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 oh, really? That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, there is one ultimate boss. Uh, that, um, that my point, my point, my point, my point is that, uh, that like the, but even though there is limitless diversity and individualism evident just through the use of the senses, we know that all of us basically have a skeleton. We all basically have a heart and lungs and kidneys, even though some people may have, you know, great skeletons or skeletons that are a bit damaged or kidneys that don't work so well because of mistakes already made, that we ultimately have the same organs. Perhaps it is the same with the archetypal psyche. With limitless variation, we have the same kind of psychic organs within us. So a kind of cooperation, cooperation, a collegiate movement forward between us with respect for our individual natures but and our shared interests as the inhabitants of this tiny rock in limitless space could be achieved, but I don't think it can be achieved externally. I think you have to go within, that the only way out is in. Yeah, entirely agree. Um, I'm, I'm permanently um, fascinated and spellbound by the fact we're not permanently amazed about the fact an acorn can turn into an oak tree. Yeah. Well, I think we should just go around and they're going, can't believe the acorn thing. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know hey, what I mean? the acorn thing still. Yeah, we're dazzled <laughs> by some relationship in the press. I or... know, it's crazy, man, isn't it? Yes, we've lost our sense of awe. And I think a big part of um, the spiritual life is this sense of awe and wonder, recapturing and recovering yeah. wonder. Like, oh my God, Be amazed. Oh, we've got children. We are Be each other. Amazed. Well, I remember when I first started working in media, the, uh, another person who gave me a great break, Andy um, at, um, at MTV, he, like he said, what is great about Chris Evans is he will apply powerful enthusiasm and passion. He goes, he said he saw something on TFI where there was a train set. And he said that Chris Evans' passion about the train set it was electrifying so everybody else cared about the train set yeah. now be in awe be in awe at the beauty of the world but then some people go oh, it's easy for you to say because I've got to deal with X, Y, Z and of course people do have to deal with a whole alphabet of worries yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah I'm sorry for the suffering that there is within the world but all of this stuff we're talking about it comes about as a result of suffering it's like oh, the suffering is inevitable the cause of suffering is desire we have to start to look at what things we desire what things we fear how do we find again, ourselves again that's here? temporal isn't it that's our time machine that's the, that's the you know if you keep one foot in the past one foot in the future uh, you end up peeing on the present 
As they say, Chris, yes, I think that is a, a very useful image, <laughs> although an unpleasant one. Very unpleasant, <laughs> extraordinarily. Uh, Russell, I, I think I think we're done. I mean, what else would you like to get out there? I, I could talk to you all day, obviously. Well, thank you so much, firstly, for being uh, so accommodating and kind to me, bringing me in here and allowing me to use a very nice bathroom on the way in. And thank you for that lovely announcement that uh, Dave did there. And thank you, both of you as well, uh, for being here so beautifully flanking the room. <laughs> and, and so so wonderfully present. I feel very grateful to you for letting me come because we've been on a bit of a like a sort of a parallel journey and I look to you and I admire you very much Chris for what you've done and like of course I remember our time together at uh, uh, that other radio station we worked at. Which time is, together and apart. Yes, yes, together and apart and so I'm very glad that you've um, trusted me on live radio and brought me on oh, here forever, for this conversation. Man. Forever. I remember we did a little Q&A at TV Centre when you were doing Big Brother's Little Brother. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah. That was fantastic because you know the whole thing about Big Brother is often there are music and culture shows, you know, there were always music and culture shows from the 60s all the way up until TFI Friday. And Big Brother was the noughties culture show, but it was minus music and it was the first sort of non-music signature show of a decade. Oh, wow. Do you know what I mean by that? Because that sort of took over. So so you had Ready, Steady, Go in the 60s and then you had the old Grey Whistle Test and Top of the Pops, of course. Then you had the Tube and you had the White Room. And what you was had it the in word, the 90s? The I don't remember what that no, would I, have been. What that have well, been? if you remember, you weren't there. <laughs> that's the whole thing. Mm. Um, but I mean, I know we, we're going to wrap up now, but from a, from a sort of tempo tipping point point of view, you know, there was Bugsy Malone and I'm sure Big Brother was there, you know, and then you went and became this big movie star over in, in Hollywood. How many how many of those sort of peaks have there been, do you think? It seems like there's been quite a lot of them and like, many of them are a little bit giddying and frightening. It's strange that like the I, I reckon, I don't know, like four or five, getting on the telly was really, really exciting yeah. when it first happened. Big as you Brother was know. just game changer, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I really, really, I couldn't believe it was actually happening. I was on the telly every night and it was live and I felt so sort of fulfilled and it felt so sort of easy and fun and I felt so validated and it was exciting. And, and it was, fitted you well, that suit, I thought. Yeah, I was really at ease in that. I really enjoyed it. I couldn't believe I was allowed to just muck around like that. It was pretty terrific and then like because of the show when I met Gareth was he who I did football was nice with he was producing a show on MTV that I'd done Leicester Square were all big the Hollywood stars didn't know that MTV in England no one cares about right they didn't know that so they would let don't, like don't big, tell him don't tell him no, no this is important <laughs> this you better come on there's only about 100 people watching and we had like Tom Cruise on and all these people and Adam Sandler came on it and that's how I got into being in films because no he put way. me in yeah Adam Sandler put me in his film Bedtime Stories then his agent put me in like I, like, I met Judd Apatow and done them Sarah Marshall and all them films as a result of that and that was pretty amazing and of course you know, got married to Katy Perry over there I mean it just was like an extraordinary mad fairy tale really And but for me what has and not that those times were most wonderful in their own way uh, but like this life though the life of being married to Laura and having like children and like cats, uh, all those cats oh yeah it's nice 11. man so many cats I'm probably going to get a couple more cats on the way home I think we're quite near Batsy Dogs home catch a couple I'll grab a few on the way. I'll fill that car up with cats. Hang those the talk of less. There's a wind coming. Get the cats in the car. Right, we're going to wrap up. Russell, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It's great. Great to see you again. Cheers, really Chris. great to see you. Great to talk to you. How good was he? How good is he? You know, I, I know him. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, his friend a bit. I'm really chuffed about that. And that was Russell Brand. He's on tour at the moment, depending on which century you're listening to this in. Um, specifically, uh, 2022. Um, as, as winter warms into spring in 2022, he's on tour. You can go and see him. RussellBrand.com. Bye. <laughs>